Welcome to City Arts and Lectures, a season of talks and onstage conversations with some of the most celebrated writers, artists, and thinkers of our day, recorded before an audience at the Sydney Goldstein Theatre in San Francisco. This week, two phenomenally smart observers of culture, Gia Tolentino and Jenna Wortham. Tolentino is a staff writer at The New Yorker and author of the essay collection, Trick Mirror. Wortham co-hosts the New York Times podcast, Still Processing. On May 6, 2020, what was to be an onstage conversation at the Sydney Goldstein Theatre in San Francisco ended up being a far more intimate exchange about the logistics and emotional realities of life in self-isolation. The two spoke via video conference about their new relationships to productivity, an urgent desire to do good in the world, and some of the lighter aspects of their pandemic lives, like reality television. Join us now for a conversation with Gia Tolentino and Jenna Wortham. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Jenna. Uh, hi, friend. How are you? Um, right now, yeah. at this moment in time, yeah. I'm so happy to see you. The last time I saw you was over a year ago. No, I saw you at your book launch, actually. But yeah. it just feels good to be reunited. It feels good to touch in and yeah. see what people are doing. How are you? I'm good. Right now, I'm good because it is really nice to see you. Um, but it's funny, you know, <laughs> like that, obviously, how are you? Such a loaded question right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. uh, it's funny. Like I was saying to my boyfriend last night, I I don't know if you're finding this, but I'm not, like I tend to be a pretty even keel I'm not a moody person. I feel mm. these days like, and I, I don't know whether it's because it's, you know, we've all been in the house for, you know, 50 days or if it's, I'm, I'm 24 weeks pregnant. So I'm like, maybe it's that, mm-hmm. but you know, I feel that um, like vibes are coming and going really quickly and sharply mm-hmm. and abruptly these days, you know, like, like yeah. big clouds of restlessness and sadness. And then sometimes they lift right away when a friend sends you something or something, but it's it's funny how like it's it's really a m- much more moment by moment thing than it's not even really a day by day thing it's an hour by hour <laughs> you, do you know what i mean yeah yeah i definitely feel that i feel like how i'm feeling changes like incrementally throughout the course of the day yeah. and it's really asked for a lot of patience like i feel yeah. like i have to be really patient with myself because sometimes when i'm feeling you know, like nothing's wrong, but all of a sudden I'm feeling really excited or really down. I just have to be like, that's where you're at right. and just bring that to the table. Right. Be okay with yeah. it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I found this yeah. period. I mean, I had been for a while, I would, maybe since I finished my book, I had been trying to mm-hmm. like loosen. I feel like we probably talked about this at McDowell too. I, I've, I was trying to, I've been trying to loosen my relationship to productivity. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You know, let's talk about it. Go on. Well, you know, I've been trying to sort of, I think it's, I don't know. I feel a complicated way about this because it's like, I I feel extraordinarily lucky to be able to be fulfilled by my job. You know, I feel like right now Mm. it's, it's so obvious that to be, to have a job that fulfills you and that you can really throw yourself into and that, you know, absorbs you sort of emotionally and intellectually, that is a supreme luxury that, you know, the vast majority of people don't have. But as a result, like I've, I kind of have a relationship with productivity where, you know, I sort of, 
like I, I finished my, this happened when I finished my book and I read Jenny O'Dell's how to do nothing. And I was like, I organized mm-hmm. my entire life around production and very little around like care. And I think that this period has been kind of useful in being like, Oh, it's not like, it's so clearly not true that the best thing we could be do is like the best thing we could be doing is like doing something. Sometimes you just got to lay, you know, you just got to let it, you got to <laughs> let it be. Uh, there's like sort of an enforced patience to this period that I'm finding um, instructive and useful, like you were saying. Mm. How is that showing up in your day to day? Are you doing less? Do you feel compelled to write more? Are you trying to, you know, I think there's a sense too of like, I should be taking in more material. So like yeah. get through my reading list or get through my, my TV queue yeah. or, you know, which is complicated, right? Because that actually is an active engagement. That's not really resting, but I'm, I'm curious. Yeah as a critic, kind of how that's showing up. Well, I wanted to ask you that too, because I was, I was, mm-hmm. I want to know what like has broken through, like what's broken through the kind of mm. fog, you know what I mean? I, like, is that's, I was listening to, to the still processing episode on the Fiona Apple album. And that was one mm. for me that really like cut right into, you know, like made yeah. me feel extremely present. And that was, but I, yeah, I think I, uh, I'm still working a lot. And I'm kind of glad to be like, there's a way in which I've never been more grateful that being a, like reporting allows you to speak to strangers. I, mm-hmm. I feel like in mm-hmm. a lot of ways work has allowed me to feel connected to the world. And also I think I've been aware, you know, of all of these, all of these kind of arbitrary privileges that kind of demarcate my life. Like I think a lot mm. of my friends, they have to separate their anxiety about what's going on right now from their work. Yeah, but I think mm, my work mm, is mm. only about that right now in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've been yeah. reporting a really long piece about mutual aid that's closing like tomorrow. And it's been nice to sort of like, I, I feel a renewed sense of gratitude for that. But yeah, I think I am. I, I've been trying for the last few years to get better at like the work at home thing where you're like, you know what? My brain's not working. I'm going to cook for two hours later tonight. I'll pick it back up. And I've been doing that a lot. And I definitely like, I've been watching nothing. I've, I've been reading Wolf Hall. I've, it's like, I've been, mm-hmm. I think doing less than normal. What about you? <laughs> um, well, it's funny to, to hear you mention McDowell too, because I feel so grateful for that time yeah. um, because it really helped me figure out the best times of day for my yeah. brain. Like I'm such a morning thinker yeah. and I'm such a morning writer. And I think I used to use that time to, just power through my to-do list or power through my emails. Whereas now I know that's like my prime thinking yeah. time, not online shopping. Like yeah. I should be like, I love online shopping in the morning desk. though. <laughs> the focus is there. <laughs> it's so yeah. sharp and like no regrets yeah, exactly. and just like done. Yeah. Mm. Decisions were yeah. made. Um, but you know, that was, it was really helpful for me to figure out like my time to shine is till like two or 3 PM and then the rest of the day for me can be research. Yeah. So that can look like reading, that can look like watching something, that can look like listening to right. something. Um, that's usually when I would take a really big, long walk yeah. to kind of just just disperse all the energy. And I've, I've kind of stopped doing that because um, I'm still in Bed-Stuy and it's just, it's just dense. The streets Such are dense. dense and yeah. so it's not relaxing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I feel like I've been trying to shift my relationship to productivity for the last couple of yeah. years. And I think it's really challenging. I've been working so much more. Um, I feel during quarantine, so burnout during quarantine. Really? Yeah. yeah. Cause we, yeah. Cause we decided, I mean, the podcast was on hiatus for a right, little and while. Y'all brought and it then, back. 
we yeah. brought it out of retirement. I mean, it wasn't retired, but we brought it back yeah. specifically to do these living room sessions. And on one hand, it's such an anchor. It's like, you know, the ritual of being in it with Wesley is just so sustaining and nourishing. And we talk on the phone all the time. Yeah. We text all the time. And he's just one of my favorite people. And so having, you know, that as kind of this mirror for me constantly is really terrific. But we're also, because of the heightened and, and expedited production schedule and that it's remote, we're taping, you know, we taped a little bit this morning. We tape two or three days a week oh, now. Oh, wow. And so that's a lot. There's just no break. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. So I'm like, it's, and then on top of that, yeah, there's just other stuff happening. Yeah. And then, you know, also wanting to write for the paper and write for the magazine. So it's really interesting. And I think something I'm trying to really make space for is just that there isn't space to process. There isn't space to take Absolutely. in that a lot of the distressing information is just sitting in front of me and I have to just be okay with it until later. One thing that I feel like I have, I have, I, I've gotten better at saying no during this time, which is another thing that I, That's good. you know, I've been trying to, I think I've gotten better at saying I have absolutely nothing to say on the subject. Like I feel, um, translations of my book are coming out in different countries. And so I'm doing a lot of um, foreign interviews, which are kind of amazing. Like I've been talking to a lot mm. of journalists in Spain and Italy, and it's kind of, I find it really moving to be speaking to people from like epicenters of the lockdown, you know, and like to be in each other's kind of virtual yeah. presences for a really intense hour. But I, you know, there's been, I don't know if I'm sure you've been getting a ton of the sort of this is X place wanting to check in about like what's making you feel good during quarantine and like what you make of it and what you think it means for journalism and what you think, you know, and, and I fully just straight up have been like, I like of all the times where, where, you know, the idea that I could offer some vision of the future. I mean, that, that idea is always a little ludicrous to me. Like right now it's so like, we don't know what next month is going to look like. Like I certainly can't, like, I, I feel completely incapable of sweeping statements about, I mean, you know, there are certainly like sweeping thoughts I've been having about the world in the situation, mm -hmm. as I'm sure you have, but like, in terms of the ability to sort of pronounce and sum up and like neatly process, like I, mm. I've been, I've been glad to be like, I just, I can't, and that's fine. And that's not what we're supposed to, like, we're not the discomfort and the uncertainty is like, whatever is the is the ground that whatever is politically productive is going to grow out of. You know what I mean? Like I, it's Definitely. been nice to be like, I, I have, I don't know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to hear that you're able to create some of that distance and, and have boundaries around that work because I think the asks can be so high and especially, you know, I feel like you've um, come into the spotlight as someone who's thinking so critically about the self and selfhood and sort of the ways we comport ourselves online and off. And so I can imagine that the there's just such like so many people I'm sure are just like clamoring to hear from you. And so I'm glad that you're kind of taking a step back. And I also think, you know, we've become so accustomed to quick consolidation or just like quick distillations of yeah. moments you know, like the last couple of years in media writing, even criticism, just online social media in general has been like, what's the, what's the most important thing I need to know right. about a moment or a TV show or an idea right. or, or movement and everything about COVID resists that, yeah. you know, it's like such an evolving thing. Um, so much of that, it also is just due to the total ineptitude of our administration to get any information out about it properly and, and responsibly. But you know, it's, it's just really fascinating because none of the instincts that 
the way we've had to deal with news over the last even like decade or so makes sense right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I even think like basic, like individualism, you know, like there's a way in which like the, just the limits of so many ways of thinking, so many dominant ways of thinking have been brought just like really hard to the forefront, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is like one, one question that I've been getting a lot is like, is this going to make the internet fundamentally different and better, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, Ooh, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah. uh, I mean, I personally don't like, I don't think so. I mean, to me, it's like, as long as, you know, the economic foundation of the internet is surveillance capitalism, it seems like it, it is what it is, but it has, but I have been more grateful for, you know, the, you know, the internet's gotten a little softer and weirder and lately, which is kind of nice. Yeah, that's something uh, I actually wanted to talk to you about, too, because I'm um, really fascinated by, you know, how everything has just kind of condensed to these boxes and to these screens. Yeah. Like art is now being made through these screens. Yeah. You know, people are trying to reconfigure how humor works through these screens. Yeah. We're seeing like a vast uptick in adoption of so many services, including like TikTok, because people just have a lot more time on their hands to figure out these new mediums. And the the effect is the impression of a softness. And I really wonder, right. You know, I don't know. I wonder if that's, if I'm, I'm like struggling because part of me loves the gentleness. And then I'm also like, it's an impression. No, that's you know? exactly it's, how it's, I feel. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, yeah, I, I love that, that times piece about the professional dancers who are bored and getting on TikTok, you know, and just like crushing all the, you know, I know, I know it's so I sick. Know. But yeah, I mean, I think there's, well, like to me, you know, and I, I think we both, you know, might agree on this because I feel like we've both spoken about this before, but to me, it is always really wonderful to watch people try to be really human on inhuman systems, right? Like mm -hmm. on, on systems that are structured to sort of, you know, like as that Jenny O'Dell phrasing that like never gets out of my head is to sort of algorithmically entomb us and like make us glossier and you know um just like increasingly just sort of surveyed and monetized and gritted but, mm. but you know the, the the way people try to be human on them is is you know continues to be really like irreducible in a lot of ways right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's but it always exists alongside the incentives that underpin it right like it always um, no matter no matter the degree to which our voluntary behavior softens, the underlying structure to me is so dehumanizing that there's no getting around that. Like we can change our voluntary, we can change the way we voluntarily respond to self-surveillance and we can mm. change our manners of self-surveillance, but we can't change the involuntary surveillance and what is, you know, what's done with that economically that underpins all of these networks. And so to me, it's like, mm -hmm. you're right. It's like at, at most it's, you know, it's a softening of the surface, um, which to me, and like thinking about this exists alongside the fact that like, I mean, if we, if we weren't able to sort of to FaceTime our friends right now, like, <laughs> I mean, I'd really be off the deep end, know. you know, like there's, there's the degree to which my, like, my, kind of non-rep, like all of our sort of non-representative individual interpersonal interaction with it is so wonderful and necessary that I think it's mm. making people think things about the system that are not necessarily applicable. Do you know what I mean? 
A hundred percent. It's so funny because before this, like, imagine someone just randomly face FaceTiming you during the day. You would be like, <laughs> unless it was like your homie or Andrew, you would just be like, and now I'm like, oh, oh my God, hello. <laughs> like, I don't care if I'm in the bathroom. Like, this is the first time I've had makeup on in weeks. Like, you know, I just am like so eager for human I connection know. and also just like inner circle, like to see how they're yeah. doing that. I'm just like, y'all privilege everything, like contact me anytime. And so there's a part of it that's like those, um, the boundaries, like the, the ways in which, and I, I love that you keep mentioning Jenny O'Dell too, because that book um is so was so important to read and for me I'm still reading and thinking about it but like thinking about managing my relationship to attention thinking about what it means to have my own you know sacred brain space that has nothing to do with the screen and and it's something I've had really rigorous boundaries around historically and all of that's gone because I can't regulate I just can't regulate how much I'm using my devices and so it, it, yeah, it just cracks me up to think about Mark Zuckerberg somewhere in a room, just like. I mean, yeah, right tech now. is the only industry. I mean, well, like these social networks, it's like, yeah, their you like usership is way up. Yeah, the first after the first week when I got my weekly screen time alert, and I was just like, oh like, yeah, don't show me this. I haven't had that on, but I just turned it on because I feel like I need to know. My my book partner and friend was like, my friend Kimberly was like, um, my hours are ten to 11 a day. And I was like, what? Like, wait, how is that possible? She was like, I don't know, but I have to like, it's mine are not, mine are not good, but you're right. I mean, if it's cause like normally the, like, you know, the things that are reliable to me as like one thing that I think this moment with the internet is doing it's to me, it's also reminding us that, you know, there's so much that is almost supernaturally magical about the internet, right? I mean, we can be talking right now. I can Mm -hmm. look at your plant. Like I feel so grateful for that. And at the same time, it will never, it will never usurp like all these systems are set up to mm-hmm. to make these incentives appear stronger than real life ones right and i think that so much of like the the internet like the the, the sort of para world of the internet is always trying to make itself seem important, more important than real life, more determinative or something but it it never is and it doesn't feel that way and i think we're also reminded that of that right now like nothing compares to actual presence these things are mm-hmm. so wonderful but they they are wonderful because they remind us of how much we want to be with each other. Mm. Right. Like it's um, such a good point. And it's like the way that, yeah, my screen time is, is just really shameful because, you know, I, I want to be texting my friends for two hours randomly because, you yeah. know, you, it, because it's the closest thing we can get to the thing we really want, which isn't to be texting our friends for two hours, but it's to be sitting across from them at a crowded restaurant, you know, um, mm. and just feeling, yeah. Like there's a way in which the like the 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 limits like the the incredible possibility, but also the really hard limits of the internet seem to be presenting themselves. Yeah, yeah. I also feel like there's almost an, an underlying or, or invisible, you know, I don't know, like moral morality like value quotient that's being assigned to certain behaviors or certain things. Like, you know, zooming is good. Like, FaceTiming is good. You know, it's it's good to be connected. It's good to be doing these things. But then you hear about like. Airbnb laying off almost 2000 employees or like we work or like Instacart and like, those are bad. Like it's just, there's something really interesting of like, like a value assignment that's kind of happening because of our, you know, because of, of the way we interact with technology, even though like the services we're using the most are just as guilty of perpetuating the same harms at the the companies that it's more obvious just because they, I don't know, it's it's, that veil is being lifted much faster. And so I'm, I'm super intrigued by kind of where that, 
leads us. And that's the thing I'm trying to be most vigilant around is like remembering that just because Instagram isn't making, you know, me spiral anymore, doesn't mean it's still a healthy obsession or or preoccupation, you know, and that's, I feel like that's the thing that's like the trickiest right now to remember is that the lifelines that feel so essential are still so toxic. And it's, it's really, really hard. hard. Right. I mean, I've had a hard, really hard time, like, you know, all the privacy stuff with Zoom. I'm still like, whatever, you know, like, I'm still going to show you this weird thing on my boob. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, that has also happened for me. Like I have a lot, you know, I have a lot, I'm just a lot less inhibited. Like, I don't know. I was, I've been really into, um, some of the like Zoom parties yeah. that have happened just because I kind of miss my broader yeah. community. And, you know, I think, you know, as a queer person and as a black person, like during times of crisis, we gather like that is what you do. And so it feels really strange not to be able to show up at someone's house or just to be able to sit in people's living rooms. That was a lot of what was happening after things like the election or things like pulse. It was just showing up and like being bodies in a space because that is such a powerful reminder of life. So I've been really into these like zoom raids that have been happening and a lot of them are kind of private. But I'm like, so the other day I was like cooking in my kitchen and then the Meg Thee Stallion um, remix with Beyonce came on and I was like, what? And I just like pulled up my dress and was just like twerking on my counter. But then I was like, this is still a webcam, Jenna. Like, this is still a web. I had on like bikini bottom, so I didn't feel totally exposed, but I was just like. Yeah, the, the, I don't know. The like, AI, the like the, the, the robot in Beijing is like, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> that remix, deep fake that remix, I mean. There have been so, like, I think my relationship to attention, like, I, I normally do not have trouble, like, fully absorbing myself in almost anything, but for, especially at the beginning, that's been hard for me. And mm-hmm. I think it's just been hard mm-hmm. for me to feel, like, as sharply there as I normally do, yeah. you know what I mean? Also yes, something I that do. I rarely have trouble with. Um, and then, like, things like the, like, the Fiona album and that remix, like, you know, like, Beyonce started rapping and I was like, like I'm fully in my body again. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They're both deep works of art. I mean, and I think too, it's like that kind of, they feel like care packages. They feel intentionally dropped. They feel like they're meant to kind of be bombs. And so I think that's, that's something that's, you know, that of course we're responding to rather than like, I don't know. There's, I don't, I actually want to ask you about like what your media diet is right now. If you're watching, a lot of interesting things or, um, what books are, Oh, you already said you were reading with Paul, but I'm just curious too. Cause I've, I, I also feel like I'm struggling to consume stuff that doesn't feel resonant. And at the same time, there, there's like an invisible barometer of things are too violent yep. or they're too Absolutely. graphic that I can't engage. And so it's, it's been interesting to sort of see how my own mind is being rewired in terms of what feels tolerable. Yeah. Entertainment wise. I have been, I'm not, I don't really watch a lot of things. Like I, and I haven't been in quarantine because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've been watching a lot of bad movies. Like, like every, mm-hmm. I have a Thursday night movie club where we watch a movie where the name of, they say the name of the movie really dramatically in the movie, uh, which is, which has been good. <laughs> yeah. Like what's a, what's a movie you guys Well, watch? we've gone really all over the place. Like, I think we're kind of rotating like cartoon, like classic okay, bad action movies. So it was like Ratatouille, Love and Basketball. John Wick, oh. you know what I mean? Like that vibe, like so Mulan, good. 21 Bridges, like, 
like that that vibe perfect you know and i keep being like yeah. did they say save the last dance and save the last dance like <laughs> you know uh, i want to rewatch that i thought those dance sequences were so tight with julia styles back in the day like, bum, bum, like i would bum, be bum, like bum. Yeah. Yes, and it's so but... whack like it's the so wackest did not it's, hold it's so funny she got all these dance moments like remember in 10 things i hate about you where she like gets drunk and gets, yes. and it's the like yes. the worst like it's I the worst at the time in the theater i was like, like yeah, me too. Like I was like, that those low rise <laughs> jeans, baby. Like, oh, ten things I hate about you. I was like, I think that the title's in the movie. We were talking about that one, but I um, yeah, it is. Yeah, I've been mostly, I've been reading a lot, and uh, it's sort of the Wolf Hall trilogy really helped me because have you read them? Mm-mm. they're really should I yeah I mean it's I I'm not okay. a historical fiction person but you know enough enough of my friends and enough people who uh you know whose opinions I take seriously like who I would listen to are like these books are you know incredible and mm. I really I could it, it's it kind of fixed everything for a little bit because there's a way in which like I, at the beginning of quarantine, I felt kind of overwhelmed with the simultaneity of everything. You know, it's like this, this kind of weird consciousness that we were living in history, but also like kind of like on this knife edge of something really unpredictable and like the, and, and everything was happening all at once, you know, and there was something really wonderful about being absorbed in a different historical moment you know, where things were consequential, but also like there's this, there's a, like some blurb on the cover of one of the books in the trilogy calls it astringent. And there's like, there's a way in which it kind of feels, they feel like that, like they feel like a reminder that living through these monumental things always feels like, you know, just staring off into space and looking at, you know, like a leaf fall for 30 seconds, you know, like the, the, mundanity of the monumental it's like it was really it was and it was also just nice to have something that I looked forward to doing every night that wasn't like putting the panda emoji on and like facetiming my friends you know um, totally yeah what have you what's your media consumption been like oh god well when we're in production we're watching a lot of stuff so it's just been really really high yeah um, but my go-to, the, my, <laughs> my go-to like brain decompression is Survivor. Have you? I've seen like the vast Damn. majority of them in between seasons. I go back and watch yeah. old seasons. Cause I, I was like hooked the way most people were when it first came out. And then I was just like, this is terrible. Yeah. And then, um, I got back into it, um, actually at McDowell because the people I was there with were really obsessed with it. And so we were watching it in real time and then started like doubling back on old episodes but it's just like this weird inception like universe that's folded in on itself because this season is all past. Yeah, winners. that's right. So it's manic. It's like they all remember how everybody played because they all watch uh-huh, each other's uh-huh. seasons and they're like, Sandra is going to pull the same type of move that she pulled. And, and, th- and you're just that's like, so interesting. Yeah. The like awareness of so. self-consciousness and the like reactivity, like that's really interesting. Maybe I should watch it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, the only thing I'll say that's interesting is 
you know, normally when people are playing um, for money, like they don't know how money can change their lives. They don't know how it can ruin their lives. They don't know how it's going to reshape their terrain. And all of these people are intimately familiar with what it means to win a million dollars. Yeah, that's wild. There's a desperation and it's, it's. What are they playing for? Are they playing, like, what do you think the motivation is? Like what to come back, like to, to win again, to. It's kind of reputation. Yeah. It's like a very reputation oriented show. Like a lot of people come back to either like reclaim a crown or they miss the, I mean, the game, I mean, I want to play it. Like it looks fun. Like it just looks so challenging. Yeah, I bet you'd be great at Survivor. Thank you. Thank you. One day I have to learn how to make fire and then I'll do it. Cause that's like the last challenge Uh you have to be able to. Oh, you can do that. You can do that. I have to practice. I just have to practice. But anyway, yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I think that kind of. I've been also really paying attention to like how media is reshaping itself around this particular moment. And, you know, I definitely got into TikTok at the beginning of quarantine. Like I just felt like it had some of the most interesting commentary on what it meant to be quarantined across America and around the world. And it feels a little bit more visceral. I mean, it's, it's, I know that you've spent so much time thinking about TikTok too, but it's, it's so weird because it, it lives in its own solar system more or less yeah. because it doesn't have the performativity of Instagram, even though it does, but it's, it has its totally different. Yeah. Grammar. It has a different yeah, like physics t- for sure. Completely different yeah. physics. And it's not, it's also not trying to be as, as smart as Twitter, yeah. but it has its own, you know, intellectual yeah. priorities. So, um, I've been, I've been looking at a lot of TikTok, but that's one where I have to like set strong limits because I will really spend yeah. like two hours. Yeah. Half. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to ask you something too, which is, what do you think? I mean, this is a this is a tough question. So I want to say also that like, one of the things I'm holding space for right now is how hard it is to make sense of right now right. because this is a moment that we will study and process and work through for generations. Yeah. Like we just, it it's just impossible to know like what we're going to even know about this time yeah. in a year instincts tell me it's not going to be good, yeah. but we're still getting acclimated to this moment. But I, I don't know. I'm just curious if there's, um, you had this tweet a few weeks ago, or maybe a few days ago, time is so strange. Mm-hmm. That was like one, one thing that's working for me right now, but essentially you were saying one of the things that's serving you right now is being able to say like, um, thank you for your request, but my brain is totally mush. Like I can't do anything. Yeah. And that's something that you want to take out of this time into whatever the after looks yeah. like. And I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you're trying to hold on to, like anything else that's come up right now that either in your work or future books that you're just like, this is a kernel of something uh-huh, that, that I want to remember yeah. to plant later. Uh, well, I've been cutting my sandwiches in triangles, <laughs> which is <laughs> honestly d- doesn't matter, but I'm going to be the rest of my life. My boyfriend always cut the sandwiches in triangles and I'm like, you know, not like normally I'm like, but now I'm like, why wouldn't I? And you get the best first bite exactly because you get the corner. Exactly. <laughs> um, that's one thing. I think, um, I, yeah, there, there are little, I can feel little kernels of things taking shape. And I think that one of the things that's becoming clearer to me right now is that like one thing that I've been wondering, kind of puzzling through with myself. And one thing that I, like, I think going on book tour, one of the questions that I got asked the most was like, what should we do? You know, like there was, like, and I'm sure you got, you get a version of this too. Like it, it was just, you know, a lot of the book I was writing about like certain contradictions that are some somewhat irresolvable 
Um, and then yeah. the question would be like, you know, like, okay, given that, you know, an entire industry has reorganized itself around the idea that people ought to optimize themselves until they die, what should I do? And, you know, my answer mm-hmm. was always like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't even, like that question was so, mm. like the idea that I would tell someone what to do and that, mm. and I, I think I was, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time thinking about, um, mm. like the consequences of, like the degree to which individual action mattered versus collective action, you know, like, cause I think that, um, and I think that this, this time has clarified both the tie between our individual action and like collective well-being, you know, cause I, I've been thinking so long about how there, you know, there are just no individual solutions to collective problems, but like the real problems. Right. And I think that yeah. one of the things that are, you know, we, it's so easy in so many ways to think that like we can work our way out of something that, um, we can't, you know, um, but lately, I guess I've been thinking like, it's become a lot clearer to me that what I do day to day doesn't really matter. Um, like anything I do for myself doesn't really, really matter. But what I do, what really matters is just that I'm staying home you know, and, and like the, the mm. clarity that, 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 that mm. the sort of like lens that that gives me to be like, so in that way, my individual actions do matter greatly in so far as I'm staying home, but in so far as mm-hmm. I'm being productive in so far as I am, you know, like whatever, whatever, like it, these things don't actually matter. Like we would come out of these, this time and, and maybe it wouldn't matter at all. What would really matter is just that my actions were in service of Mm. collective well-being and I, I think it's like I don't know there's some like I can feel something growing about um like significance versus insignificance mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um and how like I always find like I always find a sense of insignificance really comforting strangely and kind mm-hmm. of and almost freeing and galvanizing mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. like if if mm-hmm. like if mm-hmm. we're on the earth for like you know there's there's like an old John McPhee description of time um where he, I was just, I'm reading my colleague Paige Williams's book about dinosaur fossils. I, I've been thinking a lot mm-hmm. about deep time lately, but so John McPhee, he mm-hmm. talks about like, if you measure the, like the earth's existence, the way that like, uh, in England, they used to measure the length of a yard from like or the King's nose to the tip of his finger or whatever. And if, if you slice, like he, he said it like one, one stroke of a nail file would cut off all of human existence. Um, and I like, I, th- I think about that a lot and yeah. I, but I find it like, I find it really freeing, right? It's like, if we're, ba- if we're barely mm-hmm. here for a second, mm-hmm. we might as well just do everything we can. But then I always get confused about what doing everything you can means. And right now it's much yeah. clearer to me that the arenas in which our work really matters are, are maybe, more helpfully specific than I thought. I don't know. Um, no, that's, 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 well, that's very Buddhist also to yeah. just like make peace with the nothingness and like the nothingness is kind of a goal. And like, that's kind of just to really understand yourself and like decenter the ego. I mean, it's about grappling with our own sense of narcissism, which yeah. everything about our modern life is like set up yeah. to feed, you know? Totally. So it's very hard to 
grapple with that bigness and that smallness. And and, and then um, like also the fact that like it is still good to like want to do things and like you know like a, like a lot of the mm-hmm. drives that are tangled up in narcissism are healthy. Like they're you know to 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 like live and find pleasure and you know like I I think I mm. and I think it's been easier to untangle those things too, right? Like the degree to which like taking care of yourself can be separated from that question of optimization. Like it's it's a lot clearer for me now. You know, it's like I. Um, things like, uh, like uh, this time is weirdly reminding me of when I was in the Peace Corps and it's funny, like I've been texting all my Peace Corps, like my Peace Corps friends are like straight chilling right now. Cause mm. exact, this is, we were effectively on lockdown for, you know, a long, long time, but didn't have internet, yeah. like couldn't go to the grocery store, you know? Um, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, it was just harder. And yeah, like it's been it's been nice to remember that like oh yeah, like I I did yoga then every morning just so that like I could, you know, retain some sense of evenness throughout the day and it has nothing yeah. to do with anything other than that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, it's also interesting too because um I've been thinking a lot about mutual aid as well and a lot of um you know, whenever, I mean, 90% of my work, I'm sorry, 90% of my friend group is out of work right now. And so like really grappling with the fragility of the creative economy and again, being grateful that I have a salary. Yeah. It's wild. So whenever anybody does anything, I'm just like, I Venmo, I'm like, Oh, you're doing a reading. Like I'll Venmo. Like, you know, and, and it's something that I've been really thinking a lot about. Like, I mean, donating as a journalist is challenging, but you know, like, okay, in the sense of like mutual aid support, like it's probably better for me to support like my immediate network because it has the impact of, of easing a little bit of their economic insecurities and worries, but it also has the effect of boosting their sense of community and their feeling of well being and connectedness and togetherness. But it does nothing for like the broader sense of like structural, structural reform that like is keeping people from getting their stimulus checks. It's like such a strange. But so I've been, I've been spending the last like month thinking about exactly this and like talking to Mm -hmm. long, you know, mutual aid organizers about this question. Cause right. Because actually, you know, in the original principle of mutual aid, which is an anarchist principle that, you know, the state, the state is like effectively, you know, at best damaging and, you know, like it's very clear that we're living in a failed state right now and um and you know I think like that principle like Miriam Kaba told me on the phone she was like we have to act as if the state will never be a protector like she was like it's in you know like she was like it's in my principle as an abolitionist to you know prefigure this world that I want to live in where the state is not the distributor of the security that it willfully denies to like, you know, so many communities, right? And we yeah. have to, we have to think of the state as some, something that, you know, is not a protector and more often actively does mm-hmm. harm. And in that way, mm-hmm. like, like this, these most direct forms of mutual aid of just like, let me like hit you with the Venmo real quick, or like, you know, donating to our, like all these neighbors, like the bed organization, like there's so many, mm-hmm. um, like the really, really direct form of it that's altogether bypassing, like not just state systems, but charity too. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've been thinking a lot about the ways in which that actually, that that is that is affecting the way we think about structure because mm-hmm. we are, 
because it's I, I guess I, I've been thinking about how I mean, my my point of view on mutual aid is that a lot of it is doing what this like it's the socialist view that it's doing what the state ought to be doing. But mm-hmm. I've also been thinking through the fact that it's like, why am why am I still hoping for that? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know what I mean like why yeah like like this is all we have it's it's what we do yeah. for each other right now with the money in our bank like in our bank account this month like it's um yes like there's a way in which that is the structural sort of reckoning and uh and maybe that is the exactly too, right because I like, also think it's really it, it's not something you think about doing like money is such a fraught thing and redistributing resources or wealth is a really fraught thing but right now it seems so painfully obvious that like right, you're hosting a thing or, or I know that you're struggling this month. Like I'm absolutely going to help yeah. you out. And if I can, you know, and, and even that like mental shift has been really fortifying for me because it's just, you know, I don't know, you, you never know how you're going to respond to the apocalypse. And so it's like reassuring to be like, this is how people show up for absolutely. each other. And it's, for me, it's like, a, it's still a very small bubble yeah. just in terms of like, I would say yeah, my pretty immediate networking community, yeah. but I don't, I'll be, I'll be interested to read your piece too, because I am thinking a lot about like the friends who are counting down the days it's been since they've, you know, submitted for unemployment and receive or, or even haven't received their stimulus check. And I'm just like, you know, there's something to that too, that waiting or that expectation of help that is really fraught as well because it's, it's flawed and, and it's clearly, I mean, I don't know. I just, yeah. I feel like talking to people who are trying to get those checks through, like there's something delivered in the structural Absolutely. and systemic difficulties of even using the, the websites you know right. it's like that's all the well and, and just this idea that like like i like one of the qualities that distinguishes mutual aid work from like state services or charities is that there is there's zero eligibility criteria typically right like the way it isn't for your friends like it's you it's not like show me your bank account you're just like right you know like like i'm still receiving a paycheck for for arbitrary reasons of luck so you know like right like there's um right yeah, just just the idea. Like, I think one of the things, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we've all. I'm sure we both always feel this way. But I, I've been wondering more how it is for for friends of mine who don't like my like my friends in Texas or whatever, who kind of think that people get what they deserve. Kind of that you like work for the money you have and like whatever and all of that. It was like things that I like find ludicrous, but this yeah. idea that it, like it's it's so clear right now that it it's so arbitrary like who still has a paycheck coming in it has, you know it has nothing to do with anything like it it means it's no validation of us that we still have work it's it's just uh-huh. it's pure like there's no reason why we should be still having a paycheck where so many people we know don't there's just no reason for uh-huh. it and and it and it, there's never been a reason for it and you know uh-huh. and i think like it'll be interesting to see to what extent this time like brings that home for people that didn't think that before, you know? Um, mm. I wonder, I mean, I think there's still a lot of divisiveness and I, I yeah. think that people are getting more comfortable in their own, you know, their own networks and their own ideologies and their own thought principles. Like I just, I don't, it's, I, I don't know why that's like such a sharp awakening as an adult who's been on this earth for a few decades now, like, but it's still just like, oh yeah, it's like actually very hard to change people's yeah. minds. It's like, people think what they think yeah. and they, that is, it gets very set in stone very quickly. Yeah. Um, it's like actually very sobering, but also kind of clarifying, you know, yeah. as you're saying, it's like, I feel like 
my purpose is becoming clear. My priorities are reorganized right. and that right. is like a gift. Right. Like maybe it is just going to be direct aid over like faith in electoral politics. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know, but I, I don't, I've been thinking yeah. about that, but, but there are ways in which like, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not optimistic that this will, uh, or it's like, I, I, I want to retain hope, but I, I don't have a lot of optimism, right? Like as it always is, but, um, but you know, there's certain things like the Overton, the Overton window has opened considerably with like universal mm -hmm. basic income, you know, stuff like that, that mm -hmm. I, that's true. That I'm like, that's, you know, that's, true. that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, and I haven't like completely, well, I haven't completely given up hope that, that, you know, like there's some sort of like, you know, new deal type, like full sort of reprioritization. Is there anything that is giving you hope or is there anything that is fueling any part of like an optimistic streak within you? I think there, there have been like little, just a, a lot of the things that I've reported have made me maybe hopeful, not optimistic, you know, like just being able to talk to doctors and to be able to, mm. you know, like people who are just to, to not feel like I'm kind of in this little hole away from, you know, like I, I think just anything, any sort of any connectivity makes me feel better than the opposite. Um, and I think, you know, like the, the strikes have been making me feel pretty hopeful, like, um, like really, you know, the way that, and I, I actually think that the media has been doing a pretty, a much better job than normal in centering working class mm -hmm. life, you mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. the ways in which like that, that, um, that subway conductor who wrote that times op-ed that's going like, that's blowing up right now, you know, that's so good and so devastating in the ways that, you know, people are talking about hospital support staff, like not just doctors and nurses, but the custodians and transporters and, um, you know, the ways that like some people are not trying to hear that like COVID is far from equal opportunity and has, you know, like devastated, uh -huh, uh -huh. you know, the black community more than, you know, but like there's some people that are not hearing that, but I think a lot of people are, you know, and I, th I, I, I think some people are hearing it, but then they're also just like, great. I don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm not black Latinx or indigenous. Like I don't have to, I don't have to worry. And then I, cause you know, I don't mean, I don't know. It, it's, yeah, I'm I'm working right. through that in my mind too, like how to feel about people who don't wear masks and it's all kinds of people, especially here in Brooklyn, but like how to reckon, yeah, like parks being extraordinarily crowded in Williamsburg and the West Village and like just like what, I mean, there's so much to right. project onto it, but I don't actually know. And I'm, I'm, I'm just a deeply curious human about those decisions and like how people are doing the math, you know? Yeah, really you're know. right. You're absolutely right. That there is that, that reaction. I mean, yeah, that like, oh, my odds are better that, which is like the most like devastatingly sociopathic, yeah. like, but, but I, you know what? And, and there's also, yeah, yeah one, like, and, and another, um, like another thing that always keeps like the, the thing that pops up to like, anytime I'm like, yes, like this new idea is entering the consciousness, like a little bit more, like, yeah. I'm like, oh wait, yeah. like, I think there is also, um, you know, just these, like the, the like fundamental historical inequities that are causing this, you know, the fatality disparity, I think can feel, I mean, even to me, sometimes they feel so overwhelming that you're like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, mm -hmm. this doesn't seem like a reality that can be readily changed right now from where we are. And and that to me, like the, the sort of, um, 
like despair I feel and like the sense of paralysis yeah. I feel is really um, like disappointing to me. Like I feel disappointed in myself and confused and that, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a really honest place to land, you know? And I think I, in those moments I turn to, I read about like Ida B. Wells yeah. or I'll read about like Rosa Parks or I'll read about, um, you know, specifically, I always turn to black journalists who are writing about like terror, white terror in the South and like how oh, God, those yeah. women kept being lawyers. Like they kept showing yeah, up in court absolutely. in parks in particular, like they kept running newspapers. And so it's like, okay, I'm like, like I get really down and I'm like, maybe I'll just become, you know, an herbalist full time. Like maybe that's what I'll do. And I'm like, you can do that on the side, babes, but you can also like, you know, you can also like live in this lineage and this tradition of people who just right. spent their whole life trying to raise that consciousness or raise that awareness. Right. And, you know, that's, that's still noble. It's still right. noble. And, and the paralysis is just part of the cycle that right. loops you back around and I, until you get to the next piece. And something that I've been trying to remember too is like, and, and like things that, you know, like any longtime organizer always says is that like, you will not mm -hmm. see the results of your work in your yes. lifetime. Right. And, and I think that like that, that's that sense yeah. of like, that's, back to like what we were talking about at the beginning, the way in which this like sort of like, I feel like it's like one manifestation of capitalism in my subconscious, which is like, you want to be able to do something now that will like right. meaningfully. And, and I think that, that that's not how change works. That's not how, that's not how activism works. And I have to keep reminding myself that like, just because of pro like, you know, some inequity is like way too big for me to ever you know, hold in my hand. It doesn't matter. That's the whole point, right? Like, yeah, I've been having to yeah. remind myself of that a lot. Um, are you open to a couple of questions yeah. from the audience? They came in before we sat down to do our talk, but um, some of them are really sweet. And so, okay. I don't know who it's from, but whoever it was from, thank you for this question. Okay. It says, do you think the post-pandemic society will continue to function with the same relentless energy of late capitalism? Or do you think our society is finally sobering up to the realities of the world? Kind of uh -huh. bridging off of where we just were. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot in terms <laughs> of, well, one thing that I think about constantly is that um, like anything worth, like there's one of the ways in which I can most sort of easily distinguish my own value system from the value system that I often think of ha as having completely colonized me is that, you know, I, one of the things that it's been easiest for me to hang on to is that almost everything good is inefficient, you know, like almost uh, like the sort of, Whereas like the whole economy would say that what is good is what's most efficient, but it's like, love's mm -hmm. not like that. You know, political organizing isn't like that. You know, caregiving isn't like that. There's not this, you know, huge output to input, like, you know, efficiency, like, and I think that, you know, right now that is both more obvious than ever, you know, that like everything that brings us everything that brings us real, real joy is not visible to an algorithm and is not, you know, it, it's not, it can't be, it can't be grabbed by the big claw of capitalism. Like everything good, mm -hmm. it might be able to be like touched mm -hmm. by it, but it, mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. not, it can't be grabbed and picked up and appropriated. Mm -hmm. 
And, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. a way in which that's really, but, and, and then though, <laughs> I found myself with this counter response where it's just like, you know, I'll spend like 90 minutes making some goddamn roast chicken and sweet potatoes and kale and being like, uh-huh. this tastes like I could have walked into a and <laughs> got this in three minutes and I've been like peeling my potatoes it was like that Fran Lebowitz New Yorker interview where she was like yes. the other day I was chopping a cucumber in my you know my kitchen I was just full of rage it's like why am I chopping why exactly you know um like I like um yeah there's but I do think that I mean I think that a lot of these sort of implicit principles that you know that maximum efficiency is max is somehow moral, right? Like, like, mm. like I think what the thing that bothers me about a lot of the sort of late capitalist, um, like incentives is that, is that there's this air of morality hanging around them, right? That like green mm. blind is immoral and as beautiful as possible is moral and as visible as possible is moral for some vague reason. Right. Um, and probably because it's like these things are all profitable and we think profit is, you know, tied to morality. And there's a way in mm-hmm. which all that stuff is like kind of very obviously ridiculous right now. Like what's happening in the sort of celebrity economy and the influencer economy. It's like, actually, it's, it's quite clear that being extremely visible has no moral value and may in fact like be immoral, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, and I think that at least these things that seem morally useful will at the very least seem neutral and maybe worthy of questioning mm. in a way that they weren't. Okay. There's another one. I thought this one was really sweet. Um, it has to do with the implications that the coronavirus has for all those graduating from college in oh, 2020 God. and the larger impact the pandemic will have on colleges in the near future. Yeah. Do you have any words to the class of 2020? Oh my God. Can you imagine if we were graduating <laughs> into this right now? I mean, I, I've yeah. been, I'd be, I would be so scared if I was a, grad, a college graduate because, I mean, I don't know how I would be thinking I was going to eat. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like, I don't know. Where do you go? Where, like, like yeah. if you can't wait tables, like, where do you get your money? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, I like for all of my yeah. young life, it was like, you know, you could always, um, like, there is no job that I ever felt myself above and just would work any possible job mm-hmm. that I could, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And right now, if I had just graduated, I would be really you know people that don't have like people that go home they don't have they can't rely on some sort of cushion you know their parents are out of work like it's really um like there's a sort of high level existential vibe that I think people I graduated in the class of 2009 and no one had jobs but a lot of people still had a base layer of security and even those who didn't could count on the basic things like you know you can you can pick up a shift doing, you know, just work. You can always work. And to have that be mm-hmm. removed completely is so scary. I think that, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, for the class of 20, I, I will say that the the things that, the things that, um, like my experience of graduating into the recession and having, you know, no money, no stability, and no sense of when I would ever have a job and no hope that I would really have ever have a good one. Never thought about becoming a writer then seemed, you know, ridiculous. That turned out to be the most, the best possible foundation for this work, I think. 
Um, mm. I think because it made me never count on anything and made me, um, and you know, it's, it's not a blessing in disguise. I would never say that, but I hope that, you know, if any of y'all are graduating right now, like there's a way that this uncertainty will give you probably a much clearer understanding of the world and its systems and the value of just like any work at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean though? Like it's like it and yeah. it um and I'm I'm glad for that. I think that like ultimately it has it's it's been the foundation of a lot of the ways that I think and I hope that uh-huh. yeah, but man, good luck guys. <laughs> yeah. And then there's one more that I really liked, which is um what do you want to remember about how you lived during this time? And oh. How does that change how you want to live moving forward? Oh, that's such a good question. Can you, did you have an answer mm-hmm. for it? Can I ask you that question? I do. What is it? it was for both of us. Yeah. Actually, too. Um, I think that uh, deep embodiment yep. is my biggest takeaway right now. You know, like I think, you know, living in New York, you live beyond your means in so many ways. You live beyond your financial means, your spiritual means, your bodily means. I mean, you know, so much of the way living in New York is set up is not around what you can physically do. It's like having things delivered. Like you kind of really rely on the infrastructure of being in a big city to kind of allow you to do more than you can physically do. And I think being kind of put in a position for the last several weeks where, you know, what I'm having for dinner is like what I make for dinner. You know, it's like who I'm seeing is who I physically make the time to see. And I think there's a, there's a smallness to that and like a practicality that I've never been kind of forced to, to consider. Um, I I do have to say no more. Like I do have to pull back more. I have to sleep more. I have to drink more water, you know? And I think a lot about wellness and wellness culture and the way the, the virus is kind of, inspiring people. I mean, oh my God, there's like a whole, I mean, we didn't even talk about like quarantine capitalism, but there's like a whole wave of just like trying to optimize your life to make the most out of this time and and reorient yourself around wellness too. And whenever people ask me what I do to take care of myself, I'm just like, I sleep a lot and I drink a lot of water because those are things that are not like, it actually does not cost money to take care of yourself or change your life in that way. And so I think just that reminder, um, of what it feels like when there's nothing to buy and there's nothing to do. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Is like, I want to remember that yeah. when whatever the other side of this looks like, yeah. and I don't even know what that's going to look yeah. like, but just that feeling of like, there's like a physical yeah. tangibility to my existence. right? Yeah. Now. Having your hands on your life. I, I, that, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a value that I think about a lot. Um, because there's this, yeah, there is in New York is so conducive to it. This sort of distant, cold, like kind of almost sexy pleasure in not having your hands on your life kind of, mm-hmm. and having your life kind of roll yeah. out ahead of you a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I, th- this was a thing that I spent all of Peace Corps thinking about. And, and I still like, there is a satisfaction in having your hands on your life that, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately too. And I think that Mm -hmm. um, I have been thinking about this because another one of the books that I was like recommending to all my friends at the beginning of quarantine is this book, Sweet Frances by Irene Nemirovsky, um, which is like, I think one of the best books written in the past century. And she wrote it kind of contemporaneously with the German occupation of France and she was killed in Auschwitz. And it's, and it's a story of, 
kind of like invasion and quarantine basically in the first um, year of the war. And it's about like love and mundanity in the middle of it. And, mm-hmm. and I was thinking like, you know, we we're so ourselves in the middle of this, like we're so mm-hmm. we're like more ourselves than ever <laughs> in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I've been thinking about what that means and wanting to be, because I have been thinking about this exact question. It's like, how do I want to have lived through this time? And I think there are two things. Like, it's like a balance between being like taking stock of my resources and seeing how I can use them better. Right. Like, um, like, like what we were talking about with mutual aid, it's like, Mm-hmm. you know, like, how can I do things for my immediate neighbors? And how can I, you know, is there something I can do for my friends right now that I'm not doing? But also, and then it's like that, but I want to live the rest of my time. I I think about, I've had this like super like acid trip image of just like a cloud drifting across the sky. Like I have so much luck and I have so much privilege. I have a job. I'm in this like, you know, like ex- I'm I'm upstate right now. Like, it's like, I want mm-hmm. to to take that and I want my needs to be little <laughs> and I want, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like I, I want to be like a little cloud drifting across the sky and like absorbing <laughs> the sun when I can. <laughs> and like, just, you know, like I, I want to be easy. Like I want to, I want to, I want to recognize the extreme luck that I've found myself in by being easy and being like mm. warm for people that need it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And that's mostly, it's like, what else could you, what else do I want? It's like, I don't want to be productive. <laughs> like, I don't want to, you know? Um, yeah, I've been thinking about how to sort of transmute luck in a, in a more, in a more like easy way or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. I feel so stimulated and like so present and I feel like, optimistic. I don't know. I'm just grateful that you're working. I'm I'm grateful that you're putting your brilliant mind to use. I feel, I don't know. I'm so glad that we know each Me other too. in this lifetime and I'm so glad we got to chat. I know. And, and instead of like taking a nice sunny walk, this was really nice. Thank you, Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Gia Tolentino in conversation with Jenna Wortham. This program was recorded on May 6th, 2020. The two spoke to one another from their homes under orders to shelter in place during the COVID-19 pandemic. These broadcasts are produced by City Arts and Lectures in association with KQED Public Radio, San Francisco. Executive producers are Kate Goldstein-Briar and Holly Mulder-Wallen. Director of Communications and Design is Alexandra Washkin. Production and Communications Assistant is Juliet Gelfman-Rondazzo. The Post-Production Director is Nina Thorson. The Sydney Goldstein Theatre Technical Director, Steve Eckerd. House Manager, Lucy Faulkner. The Recording Engineer is Jim Bennett. Theme music composed and performed by Pat Gleason. The Founding Producer is Sydney Goldstein. To attend a live program, see who is coming next, or find out more about our podcast, visit our website at cityarts.net. That's cityarts.net. Special thanks to Anne Oyama for making our programs possible as we shelter in place at home.